You can be seated. A few weeks ago, we had watched a family movie together, and after the movie was over, our 10-year-old daughter said to me, Dad, what's your favorite Disney movie? And all the Pixar movies were excluded from this question, so I said, because uh, we had just watched it, Brave, because I really couldn't think of a great answer to that question. So, of course, I asked her, what are your favorite Disney movies? These are the kinds of questions Lily loves. You know, what are your 10 favorite this or 12 favorite that? So she started her list, and the third one was Mulan. And, you know, I was thinking, well, I know there's a movie Mulan. I know it exists. I've seen pieces of it before, but it's one of those movies that I know has been on in our house, but like I was probably in and out of the room or reading something or doing something, and I couldn't tell you a thing about that movie, you know? It's there, but I don't know the storyline, I don't know the characters, I don't know any of that stuff. And, you know, my guess is for some people in the room, the story of Jesus is a little like that. You've picked up some of the pieces of it along the way because people like me in places like this have told you a story about Jesus and you know some of the pieces, not really necessarily how they fit together or the order they come in. Yeah, the birth, that's first. The death, burial, and resurrection, that's last. But all the other stuff you know is important, but you haven't really been through it carefully. You haven't gone from beginning to end. So over the next couple months, in June and July, I'd like to remedy that. I'd like to fix that. I'd like for us together to go through the story of Jesus. Now, you probably know there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you might even ask, why do we need four Gospels, right? I mean, if we have the story of Jesus, why do we need it four different times? Well, you know, it's good sometimes to hear a story from more than one perspective. You pick up different things. The, the writers were writing to different audiences, so they included different things. And in fact, what we see is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are pretty similar with some differences in detail. While John, it's like he saw those and said, you know what? I need to fill in some of the blanks of the stuff that I saw because John was there with Jesus. And so John gives us a different picture, same Jesus, same basic outline, but some different teaching that we don't have recorded elsewhere, some different miracles that we don't have recorded elsewhere. So we've got these four perspectives on the life of Jesus, and I've chosen the Gospel of Mark. And so today you've got this Gospel of Mark. The guys passed them out. And the reason I do this, because a lot of you have a Bible, right? You've got Mark in your Bible, or you could look up on your phone or some other device, and you could read the Gospel of Mark. But I give you this, we give you this as a church, that I'd like for you to take it and mark in it, highlight it. Maybe you're a little afraid to like write in your Bible. You don't like doing that. Or, you know, you start highlighting your phone. That doesn't really look good either. So you just, how am I going to do that? This is for you to use. You can draw pictures in it. You can draw arrows, whatever makes it so that you can learn this story and hear it in a fresh way. I want you to do. And so for June and July, we're going to walk through some of the stories of Jesus, but but I want you to read this story. At the beginning, there's a few little introductory remarks. There's a page in the middle that sort of marks that, and then a few reflections at the end. But most of this book is just the words of Mark. But we do have a little reading outline that I think is in the front, and that shows you that you can get through, or maybe it's at the end. I don't know. Anyway, it's in there. Trust me. And you can get through this a couple of times easily with that reading plan in June and July. But Maybe you want to read through it more than that. Maybe you want to read a little more. I would encourage you even, possibly, maybe this is a little hard to do, but it takes about an hour and a half to two hours to read through the Gospel of Mark. 
I had never done that, like sit down straight through, read all the way. And you know what? I noticed things that I had never seen before. Because when you read a chapter a day or several verses a day over the span of several weeks, you don't pick up some things that Mark just repeats over and over. You don't hear things in the same way. So if you can do that, do that. Just to have a new time to sit down and hear the story of Jesus. Now, you might ask, why did you choose Mark? Well, I chose Mark because Mark is the shortest. And I figured if I told you it was the shortest, you'd be the most likely to read it, right? So Mark is the shortest, okay? But it's also, it's also the most action-packed, the fastest pace of any of the Gospels. The other Gospels have a, more teaching from Jesus, though we do have some teaching in, in Mark. Mark gives us the action of Jesus more than the teaching of Jesus. So it's action-oriented. Mark moves quickly through the material. He says, and immediately Jesus went and did this. And immediately Jesus went and did that. That's the kind of language that Mark uses all the way through this gospel. So take it, use it, and we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks. Now, today we begin at the beginning. But what might surprise you is, if you begin at the beginning of a gospel that you don't necessarily start with the birth of Jesus. Now, unless you've studied them pretty carefully, you might not know that only Matthew and Luke give us stories about the birth of Jesus. Mark and John don't talk about that part of Jesus' life. In fact, Mark doesn't pick up until roughly 27 years into the life of Jesus when his ministry begins, which for Mark is the most important thing. So we come to this story, and here's the context. It's been 400 years since the last of what we call the Old Testament prophets has spoken. Now these prophets have said, things are messed up, right? We've got a problem politically because other people are in charge. We've had the people of Israel taken into slavery and then brought back, but there's all kinds of powers at work. We've got religious problems because the people of Israel have strayed from what is the true teaching of God. And so things are just not the way that they should be. And God has promised, I'm going to send someone, the Messiah, the anointed one. In other words, a new king. And he's going to deal with these problems, the political and religious problems. He's going to call the people of Israel back to God. And God's going to change things and do something new. But it's been 400 years. And nothing's happened. You can imagine that the people were beginning to wonder, is God going to do anything? Is God going to keep His promises? They've waited, they've hoped for someone who would fill this role of Messiah. And in fact, several people have come along and said, I'm the Messiah. But Rome has taken care of that. Rome, the, the most powerful force that, had seen, that the earth had seen at that time. Rome that ruled most of the Mediterranean, including what we today call Israel or Palestine. And certainly the people of Israel were hoping that part of the political solution to all their problems would be a new king that would throw off Roman rule. But still, nothing had happened. Until John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, sort of a, a new prophet that had come and was out in the wilderness preaching and teaching and calling to people and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. God is about to send this one that he has promised for hundreds of years, and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And if you want to be part of what God is doing, and everyone did, here's how you prepare. You repent of your sins so that you're right with God and you get baptized. That was John's message. And into that, 
we see Jesus walk. And we find it in in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. This is the beginning of his story of Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, in the Jordan River. Now, some people who read that first would have said, I don't get this because there's not much important that's ever come from Nazareth. In fact, there's not much important that's ever come from the larger region of Galilee. All the action is in the south, in Judea, in Jerusalem. It's the capital. It's where the most people are. It's the religious center of the people of Israel. Who's this guy who comes from Nazareth? Kings should come from Bethlehem. Near Jerusalem, in Judea. That's the city of David. Now we know that's where Jesus was born. But at this point, it might be unlikely that this person who comes from Nazareth is really the Messiah. Mark's going to paint a picture that that's exactly who he is. But he came, and he came to the Jordan River where John is preaching and baptizing, and Jesus was baptized. And we might say, why did Jesus need to be baptized? He had never sinned. He didn't need forgiveness. He was already good with God. Well, I don't know exactly, but, but my guess is that it's partly to do with the fact that this was, a, was an example for us, that baptism does matter, and it should be important in our lives. And second, I think in some ways, Jesus is acting on behalf of the whole people of Israel and saying, yes, we know we need repentance. We know we need to change before God, and here's our moment to do that, and baptism was a sign of that, this baptism of John. God seems to think that that was the right thing to do because the next words that we read are these in verse 10. And when he, Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately, there's that word you're going to see all the way through the Gospel of Mark, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Okay, That is a violent, active word. The heavens torn open and the Spirit of God, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, With you, I am well pleased. God acts here. And he confirms that what Jesus is doing is exactly what he's doing. I love this passage because what we have is God the Father speaking. This voice from heaven is clearly God. We have Jesus, the Son, being baptized. And we have the Spirit descending. Maybe not a literal dove descending, but the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove would descend on Jesus. Father, Son, Spirit, all at work in this moment at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. God announcing, I am doing something new. All the waiting is over, and this is the one that I planned on. This is the Messiah, the anointed one, the new king. God's saying, this is what we have been expecting for hundreds of years. Now, what happens next to me, a little strange, because this is what we read in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now that's a little odd to me because I would expect here God has announced that he's doing something special in Jesus, something that has not been done before, and I would expect that the Spirit of God would say, Jesus, it's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time to go where the people are. It's time to go where people are talking about religion. It's time to go where the sacrifices are made. It's time to go where the place that that is really called the, the dwelling place of God, the temple itself. Go there. Preach. Teach. Call people. But instead, the Spirit of God, again, it's a very active, almost violent word, drives Jesus out into the wilderness where there's no people. How's he supposed to begin his ministry when there's no people around? Well, Mark goes on 
and tells us what happened. Verse 13, and this is the top page 8 if you're looking along in your booklet. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, the accuser. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now you can read some more details. Mark doesn't give us a lot of details about this. Matthew does. Luke does. If you want to find out exactly what happened. But but what Mark wants us to know is that there is this spiritual encounter between Jesus, the Son of God, and Satan himself. Where Satan is trying to pull Jesus away from everything that God has called him to do. All the stuff that God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Let's get on with this ministry. Let's change the world. Satan is trying to pull all that back. Now why did the Spirit drive Jesus out into the wilderness for this? I don't know. I don't know. For some reason, this was necessary at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. For some reason, this had to happen. Maybe it's paired with the temptations in the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus is arrested to to walk away. He doesn't want to die. Jesus faced temptation just like we do. He was a human being. And so he was prepared for this, but, but there's something about this moment that needed to happen before Jesus' ministry was launched. And so here it is. Jesus out in the desert, tempted by Satan. The wild animals are around him, so his spirit is in danger, his body is in danger, but the angels are also there, and Jesus is spared. Then the action starts. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus' cousin, the one who baptizes him, he's arrested, his ministry is over. Jesus came into Galilee. The backwoods in the north, away from Judea and Jerusalem, came into Galilee doing what? proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If there's a couple of verses in the whole gospel of Mark that tell us what this is all about and what Jesus was doing, this is it. The rest of Jesus' ministry all the way up to his death, burial, and resurrection is about this. Jesus proclaiming the gospel of God. The good news that something is about to happen. In fact, things are happening. God is breaking into human history. God is doing something new. And everything from this moment forward is going to be different. The kingdom of God is beginning. God's reign on earth has started and it has started in Jesus. Jesus is the new king. In fact, this will be the message that Jesus preaches. This will be the message that Paul preaches, Peter preaches, all the the letters of the New Testament. They are all about this. The kingdom of God is at work and nothing will ever be the same. That's the message for them. It's the message for us from the gospel of Mark that God is at work. And so what's the response? Jesus says, if you want to be part of what God's doing, repent. Live in a different way. We've all strayed from what God wants. And then believe in the gospel. And so that's carried through the rest of the New Testament, really. The message, therefore, I think for us today, as we begin this adventure together, is this. God began something new in Jesus. For us, sometimes it doesn't feel new. It's been going on 2,000 years. In that moment, it was all brand new. God was breaking into history in a way he had never done before. And it hasn't been the same since. Now, if that's true for these first readers of this Gospel of Mark, what does it mean for us 2,000 years later? 
I think it changes things for us in three important different ways. The first is it changes our understanding of the past. Okay, this is a God that we are talking about today in this passage who actually does break into human history and do stuff. Okay, if we look back, this is not a God who just created everything and then sat back and and watched things unfold. And he's just there looking at what we're doing, observing. This is an active God who is present in in his creation, leading his people, calling us to salvation, calling us to his presence and to a relationship with him. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's the kind of God that was present among us in Jesus. And so it changes how we understand what has come before. It also changes our understanding of the future. The people of Israel had promises. Promises that God had not forgotten them. Promises that no matter how bad it got, God was still there and he had a plan. And that plan was to send a new king. To bring deliverance to them. And we have promises too. We have promises that Jesus will return. Jesus talked about it. The writers of the New Testament talk about it. Revelation talks about it. That Jesus will come back and he will call all things to him and the the reign of God will come from heaven and we will have heaven and earth together and we will spend eternity in the presence of God. And we've been waiting 2,000 years for that. And maybe we're a little bit like the people of Israel, wondering when Jesus will return. Can't we put a date on the calendar and know that it's going to happen? And we can know it's going to happen, but even Jesus said, I don't know the date, I don't know the time. And there is nothing that I know that Jesus didn't know, okay? So I don't know either. But I am confident that when Jesus made promises and when God makes promises through his son, we can know he will keep those promises. So our understanding of the future changes that even though we've been waiting 2,000 years, we may wait till this afternoon. We may wait another 2,000 years. I don't know God's plan, but I know we can be confident in God's plan. Just as the people of Israel had to wait, we have to wait. And it changes our understanding of the present. What is this all about? It's about the kingdom of God. Jesus came to proclaim that God is always and still is king. And the kingdom of God is at work. Jesus was made king. He was lifted up on a cross. He was given a crown. He was given a robe. And he died there, but he was raised from the dead. And all of that confirms that Jesus is the king. And this life, this present life, is about serving that king and sharing the message of that king and doing everything we can to serve Jesus. That's what this life is about. It changes our past. It changes our future. It changes our present. And so, today, we begin this adventure. It began with Jesus. It began with God proclaiming that he was breaking into history. It began with Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And over the next few weeks, I hope that you'll take this this opportunity and read through the Gospel of Mark, maybe several times. Because all of us, whether we've read through it a hundred times before, or maybe we've actually never read through a Gospel, believe me, if you haven't, you're not alone in this room. You're not the only one. But now's your opportunity to change that. 
every single one of us need a fresh encounter with Jesus for us to see who he was, what he was all about, and to see the new things that he was proclaiming on earth, that God is king. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the story of Jesus, thankful that in our world we have such easy access to the story that some of those who've gone before us just didn't have. God, it's a blessing to us. And help us to take advantage of that blessing and hear your word and allow it to, to seep into us and change us, to help us see who Jesus really was, maybe in a way that we never had before. God, be at work in us to make us the people you want us to be. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.